Would you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Hebrews 13, it's toward the end of your Bible. Right now, across this country, there are thousands of pastors preaching an Easter sermon. I am but one of them. It's kind of amazing to think about that. Thousands spread throughout the country. And I suspect that most of them are preaching sermons from one of the Gospels. Maybe the story of Mary Magdalene, who was the first to witness our risen Lord. Maybe the story of Doubting Thomas. Or that remarkable story of those two men on the road to Emmaus who encountered the risen Lord and He blew their minds as He unpacked the Scriptures for them. But what I am quite sure of, I don't know what is being preached, but what I am quite sure of is that the vast majority of all pastors on this day, they will conclude their services with a benediction from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. And I will do the same today. But what I want to do before I do that is I want to unpack this benediction so that as we leave here today, we can feel the full effect of its profound truth for us. We have been in Hebrews all week. We began on Palm Sunday looking at Hebrews 1 and 2 and then each morning in our morning prayer and word services we looked at another passage of Hebrews on Good Friday in the evening. We looked at Hebrews 10. Many of you were not able to be here for all of those services. Some of you were not able to be there here for any of them. I just want to set your mind at ease. That's okay. Because in these two verses... Hebrews 13, 20 to 21, we have a summary of the whole book of Hebrews. And if you are here today and you are not yet a Christian, I want to go so far as to say in these two verses, we have a summary of all of Christianity. And so I hope to be able to show you um, just what it is that the book of Hebrews is saying and what it is that our God wants to say to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is a preacher, and this letter is really a sermon. He's preaching his heart out. He's been doing so for 13 chapters, trying to show the church that Jesus is better. Jesus is a better high priest than the priest in the Old Covenant. He offers, more importantly, a better sacrifice for our sins. And establishes a better covenant, a better relationship with His people. But as He's been making His case for the supremacy of Jesus, He's also been calling His hearers to continue to endure in their faith in Him. He's been urging His readers to finish the race. Jesus has done a better work than the priest of the Old Testament. And in light of that better work, He is calling them to live a life of good works. But now, as He comes to our passage today, after He's argued, after He's urged, after He's exposited many passages and exhorted the people 
now he prays. He prays that all that he has been teaching would sink in. He prays that the same God who did a better work in Jesus would continue to work in the people that he's addressing. And so he sets down his Bible. And he lifts up his hands. And he says, now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may He equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing to Him in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, both now and forever. Amen. That is my passage for this morning. A prayer. A prayer that has a classic structure that comes to us in three parts an invocation a petition and a doxology i want to let you know how this organization matters for understanding this prayer the petition is the main prayer request and it is at the very middle of the prayer may the god of peace may he equip you with everything good that you may do His will. But the invocation at the beginning and the doxology at the end, they frame the main petition. They bracket it. The invocation lays the groundwork for the petition. It spells out why this preacher expects God to answer his prayer. It's groundwork that's based on who God is and what God has done. He is the God of peace who has brought again our Lord Jesus from the dead. So he expects that God is able to answer his prayer. The doxology gives us the goal of the prayer. God, if you will answer this prayer, you would be glorified forever and ever. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to work backward. I'm going to begin with the doxology which gives us the highest goal for our lives. Then we will look at the petition which establishes our deepest need. The obstacles that get in the way for us achieving our goal. And then finally, we'll look at that opening invocation which lays out our greatest help. Help to get around the obstacles that keep us from achieving our goal. If all of that sounds a little bit abstract, I hope that I will make it more concrete as we go along. Let's begin with the doxology. And here is the simple point that I want to make. Our highest goal is to glorify God by doing His will. This is the goal that God has for your life. You may have a number of goals, but this is the goal that God has for your life. The goal of the whole prayer is that God would be glorified forever and ever. But how will this happen? How will God be glorified forever and ever? Well, let me just set your mind at ease. He will be glorified no matter what you do. He will be glorified forever and ever. But here's the amazing thing. He wants you to be a part of giving Him the glory that He deserves. The Westminster 
shorter catechism. Question number one says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the aim for your life. How do we do it? This prayer tells us that we bring glory to God when we do good works or when we do His will. And that's what He's praying for. That God would equip them for everything good, good works. That we may do His will. As I said earlier, you may have many goals in your life. But I want to be so bold is to say that there is one goal that should be above all of those goals. And that is to glorify God. To live a life that is pleasing to God. Why am I so bold as to say that should be the main goal of your life? Well, it's because God created you. We are not our own. We were made by God. We were made to live for God. And if you have been saved by God, did you know that you were saved for a purpose? Ephesians 2 tells us what we know so well, that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is nothing that we have done that has saved us. We are not saved by works. But many of us stop at verse 9 in Ephesians 2. And we forget to go on to verse 10 which says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. You were created and saved for a purpose so that you would live for God so that you would bear his image in the world that you would do his will that you would live a life pleasing to him and thus bring glory to him is that your goal in life it's God's goal that he has established for you but how will we do that by doing the will of God And how do we know what the will of God is? You may be thinking, that sounds quite nebulous. How will I ever figure out what the will of God is for my life? Well, let me just put it as simple as possible. God's will for your life is laid out in writing in God's Word. It is spelled out for you. You don't have to wonder what it is. Jesus put it as simply as we could possibly put it. God's will for your life to do His will is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now as we comb through the book of Hebrews, we see that it is far more nuanced than that. There are many things involved in loving God and loving our neighbors. Let me just give you a brief review of some of the commands that are given to the people of God in Hebrews. We need to draw near to God. That is maybe the primary thing. We are to hold fast to our confession without wavering. We are to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. We are to strive for peace with everyone. We are to let brotherly love continue in our midst. We are to obey our leaders. We are to pray for those who take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you want to do these things? Do you want to do the will of God? Is it your chief aim to glorify God 
and to enjoy Him forever. It is your highest goal. But here's the thing. None of us have ever perfectly done the will of God, have we? We were reminded of that on Friday night, that Jesus is the only one who has ever lived in this world that did the will of God. The rest of us are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Thank God that He sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do. To live the life that we have failed to live. To die on the cross in place of sinners like you and me. If we are in Christ, we are forgiven and we are given a new life. Born again. But that's not the end of the story. Even those of us who are born again, who are saved by what God has done in Christ, let's just face the music. Have we all now, in light of our salvation, done the will of God perfectly? Far from it. There are so many obstacles that get in the way of us achieving God's goal for us. Many things that keep us from doing God's will. We have a deep need for God's help. If we're going to achieve the purpose that God has set for us, we need God to help us do it. And the author of Hebrews knows this. He's made an elaborate argument. He's given all kinds of applications to his church, but he knows that unless God shows up and does something, they won't get on with the purpose for God in their life. So what does he do? He prays. He prays. So we've looked at the highest goal in the doxology. Let's now turn to our deepest need in the petition. The preacher prays that God would equip us. You may circle that word in your Bible. It's the hinge. It's the main verb in this passage. It's where the invocation is leading to. It's what flows out of it comes the doxology. But it is a difficult word to translate. And we need to understand what it means if we're going to understand exactly how God meets our need and helps us reach our goal. The word's used about 12 times in the New Testament. I'll just give you a few examples. I think you'll get the sense of its meaning as I read these examples. It first shows up in Matthew chapter 4, used of James and John when they are mending their nets. Their nets needed mending so that they could get on with fishing. Or in Galatians 6, 1, where we see that it speaks of restoring a relationship that has been broken. Or in 1 Thessalonians 3, where Paul prays that he would be able to come to the Thessalonians so that he could supply what is lacking in their faith so that they could get on with a life of love and a life of holiness. Do you get the meaning of the word equip here? When the preacher prays that God would equip the church with everything good, that they would do His will, what he's saying is they need God to fix them so that they will be fit for doing His will. Or if I could put it another way, we need mended 
so we can mind the business of God. We need restored so that we can reap the fruit that God has for us. We need God to pull us together so that our lives can be pleasing to Him. We need God to work on us so that we can get after doing good works for God. You see, it's not simply we're saved by grace, by what God has done, and then we just have to have grit to get on with a Christian life. We are saved by grace in the beginning, and it is grace which will lead us home all the way to the end. Some people try to get physically fit in order to look good. This prayer teaches us that we need to be spiritually fit, to do good. And we certainly contribute to becoming spiritually fit. But unless God shows up and works in us, we will never be fully fit to do what He has laid out before us. Paul says it well in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Knowing that it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. We need God's help. There are many things that leave us broken and are in need of fixing. Many things that leave us tattered and in need of mending. Many obstacles that get in the way to us getting on with the life God has laid out for us. The three biggies in Hebrews, also in Ephesians, and a number of other places, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Trying to keep us from achieving the goal that God has for us. The devil holds death over our heads. Holds guilt over our heads. He's roaming around like a lion, seeking to devour us, to throw us off course. The world opposes us, seeking to do the same. As we saw last Sunday, the world publicly exposes us to reproach and affliction. And as we face this, which we do in this world, sometimes we think, is it even worth it to follow Jesus? But it's not just the devil and the world that are the problem. It's the flesh. We can have sinful, unbelieving hearts that turn away from the living God. We can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that keeps us from walking the path that God has set for us. So in chapter 12, the author tells people to throw off every weight and the sin that clings so closely to you. The world the flesh and the devil trying to throw the readers of Hebrews off track and doing the same for us. Trying to keep them from enduring. He says in chapter 13, verse 36, you have need of endurance. Friends, that is you today as well. That is me today as well. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. How will they endure? Only 
with God's help. How will they do the will of God? Only if God works. But how does God help? How does God work? How does God fix us? How does God mend us? How does He bind us up so that we can do His work? Well, this leads us to the invocation of the prayer where the author grounds his petition. And this is what I want to send you home singing with. He grounds his prayer. The confidence for making such a claim is grounded in the character of God and the power of God. He starts out by saying, God is a God of peace. This is loaded. God is a God who reconciles. A God who puts things back in order. A God who makes things whole. Surely, if He does that, He is a God who can mend our nets. A God who can restore us so that we can reap fruit. A God who can fix us so that we're fit to do good. Here's how I want to put it. Our greatest help is in God's resurrection power. A power that is at work within us. God is a God of peace, but how has God made peace with us? Through a work of great power. In the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. The blood of the eternal covenant speaks of the crucifixion, the death of Jesus on the cross. And through His death, He has secured forgiveness for all of the sheep. He has laid down His life for all of His flock. This is a better sacrifice as we learned last week than the sacrifices of bulls and goats who couldn't take away sin, that had to be continually offered year after year after year. But now Jesus shows up and offers a sacrifice that does take away sin, that cleanses our conscience, that is once for all and establishes for us eternal redemption. God, through the cross of Christ, has reconciled sinful humanity to Himself. This is a work of great power. So when you get down on your knees and pray, God, mend me so that I can serve You, know that you have access to tremendous power. Saving power. Resurrection power. This is the God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The resurrection is so critical to our faith. It validates that Jesus is who He says that He was. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. And it vindicates His death. His death was not a tragedy. It was by God's sovereignty a triumph. His Death on the cross, the the resurrection teaches us that it was a sufficient sacrifice for us, but also a demonstration of God's great power 
through the death and the resurrection of Christ, God has destroyed the power of the devil. He has delivered us from slavery to sin. He has delivered us from death. What greater power is there in all of the universe? In the Old Testament, God brought up Israel out of Egypt through Moses, His shepherd. Jesus is a better shepherd. God brought Him up from the dead. And all who belong to Him, He will bring up from the dead as well and lead us home into God's eternal presence. Our greatest help is from God. The God who raises the dead. That is the power we are invoking when we get down on our knees and ask God to help us. It was God's power that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And it is that power that is available to you. It is that power you should call on. Do you want to fulfill the purpose that God has for your life? Not that the goals that you have for your life are necessarily bad, but they're really small in comparison to the goal that God has for your life. And they should all come under the goal that God has for your life, that you would glorify God as you do His will. Do you want that? Do you want that? I pray that you do. And if you do, know today that God is able to work in you that which is pleasing to Him in His sight. He has done it. He sent His Son. His Son laid down His life. The Spirit applies the work of Christ to our lives. God has done it front to back. He's doing it right now and He will continue to do it until Christ returns again. And guess what? When God does all the work, God gets all the glory. So let us ask God to get to work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, it's a privilege to have Your Word which lays out Your will. But also that teaches us what You have done to save us. What amazing grace. I pray we would never get over it. That we would continue to be amazed by what You have done for us. I pray that we would also be people who are never satisfied with where we're at. That we would want to grow, to become more like Your Son, Jesus so that we could glorify You. And to that end, I pray we would be a people found regularly on our knees, invoking Your power and Your promises found in Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.